Early in the afternoon this past New Year's Eve, I was standing at our gate at DCA National Airport feeling sorry for myself. Couldn't just one thing go as planned this whole freaking year. My three-year-old was asleep in what looked like a massive pile of loveys, sippy cups, and exhaustion, recovering from a night of frequent vomiting in a small Airbnb. My one-year-old was strapped to my chest in a baby carrier, resisting the balance I was trying to strike between bouncing him enough to get him to sleep, but not so much that he threw up again. And as I rocked and paced and made white noise sounds with my mouth, I noticed that his eyes were still wide open. While I was desperate in my scarcity thinking, all he seemed to see was abundance. Mom, he might have exclaimed, have you seen this place? The people just keep on walking and walking and walking by and there's screens everywhere, really big ones, and they have pictures and writing and I can't believe you've never taken me here before. <laughs> Much of that travel day was a blur. I wandered so far through the airport in my attempts to get Rory to sleep that I ended up in the sparse and lovely airport chapel at the end of an uninviting hallway full of storage closets. But little Rory was still awake and he was taking it all in, so we found our way back to our gate to try one last mommy trick, the lullaby. Now, I know I'm not alone in this, but when I'm tired, it's really hard for me to recall details. So as I stood there trying to think of a really sleepy song to sing in that crowded public place, all that came to me was the strange old love song, Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage, but you'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. My thoughts interrupted me. What was the deal with that song anyway? <laughs> I hoped the rest of my fellow Bostonians were as absorbed in their phones as they appeared to be. A little while later, with our youngest finally asleep on daddy's chest, I caught the eye of a grandmotherly figure several seats away, and we smiled at each other. Um, the kind of smile that can kind of penetrate both of our N95 masks. She is remembering, I thought. She recognizes the look in my eyes, and she knows exactly the kind of night we had. She misses it, and I fully acknowledge that I will someday miss it too. But right now, I mostly just envy the novel in her hand with my entire soul. So after a blessedly quiet hour, it was time to board, and we gathered all of our many containers of gear. Even sleepy Benton was proud to carry a bit of the load in his red monkey backpack. And we crossed the jet bridge, and we found our seats, and we started chatting with the very friendly young woman squashed right up against us in our row. And just as I took a breath and shut the overhead compartment door, my smiley N95 friend from earlier walked by 
further into the plane towards her seat and just said to me, I like your singing. I can tell it's really helpful to your kids. Uh, I thought later. So she was thinking about abundance too. While I had stood there second guessing my voice and my lyrics and the noises my child wouldn't stop making, she was there seeing the fullness of our family and the devotion I inherited from all the other people who sang that song to their kids and to their kids until finally someone sang it to Kyle's mom and then she sang it to him. And here we were in this season of our life singing a song about an unstylish marriage to our children for all of Washington, D.C. to hear. <laughs> Obscure songs had kind of been a theme that week. <clears throat> we were visiting my brother, my sister-in-law, and two nieces, Alex and Sloan, both under the age of three. They are fearless and delightful, and I still can't really believe I get to be their auntie. I get all laden with scarcity sometimes, though, when I think about how I only have one sibling and he lives so far away, and how sometimes it feels like his kids barely remember me. But when we got to their house this Christmas and we pumped up the fire pit for sunset s'mores, I knew if I just focused, I could remember one of the passwords to two-and-a-half-year-old Alex's heart. I tried singing Skinnamarink-a-dink-a-dink, which I knew my parents sang to her whenever they got the chance. And it did seem to subtly communicate that I was the same species as her bubby. Um, we kept rearranging the play kitchen peas and the play kitchen hot dogs, and then I decided to sing a song my mom had written for her during those long, blurry days after her baby sister Sloan was born. And it goes like this. <clears throat> walking, walking, we are walking down the street. Walking, walking, being together is such a treat. And then a flip switched. Yes, auntie, her eyes seemed to say. I see now that you are my flesh and blood. And later tonight, when someone takes a picture of us, we will look like twins. Soon, she was all snuggled in my lap, eating the first s'more she'd ever tasted, answering every question I asked with a resounding, yeah. And suddenly, the abundance was infinite again. The warm December afternoon, my brother pushing my kids on his swing set, my dad capturing everything on camera, every bit of it. So I listened to an audiobook in my favorite way uh, this fall. I like to hear it read by the author. Um, and this one was called Sensitive is the New Strong by Anita Morjani. And I really loved her take on abundance and scarcity. And it got me thinking, yeah, I want to be able to learn to see abundance every turn of life, no matter what. But <clears throat> sometimes the scarcity just bears down so hard on us, right? We don't have enough time. We don't have enough help. We don't have enough energy. We don't have enough democracy. It's all just so very obviously not enough. There's nothing shameful about feeling that way. It's 
the way we've been trained. Scarcity mindsets fuel capitalism, and here we are. Not enough time before the sale ends, no problem. Just open your email at the next stoplight, order something you don't need before it sells out. Don't recognize the person in the mirror. Spend every spare moment working to make your body smaller and younger in an uphill battle that somehow everyone around you is attempting to. There was a point this fall where I discovered that on top of other reasons to be tired, the scarcity mindset itself was exhausting me. I tried to stop and look around and find little gifts. In the hard days, even if they were really small and sad next to what I perceived they should have been. When we find these gifts, we can and should accept them. And we should imagine bathing in them like a hot bath with Epsom salts or something, but often that steamy bliss only lasts a couple minutes and then we're worrying about inflation and rising energy costs and climate change and the grocery list and tomorrow's schedule and we're back to our scarcity default. So last year was a hard one for our family and I eventually started kind of operating in crisis mode, um, like that whack-a-mole arcade game where you're just like, yep, another one popped up, we're gonna deal with that, and then another one, and then one day at a time, tunnel vision kind of thing. But after months of that, I had to look up one day and remember that it doesn't have to be a binary. <clears throat> Two things can be true at the same time. This is really, really hard, and I have everything I've ever wanted. I felt like I spent my 20s counting down the years until my life was set up in just the right way to be a mom. I had this picture of how it was gonna be and I prepared my life like a nursery for years until it felt like there was nothing left to do but have the babies already. And now I look at them and sometimes I think, are you real? And other times I think, is this? for real. Sometimes there truly isn't enough. Our loved ones really aren't with us. The toy train really is so broken it's never going to be able to be fixed. It would be saccharine not to accept scarcity where it can't be denied. But I like that universalism reminds us that none of us is beyond redemption. And lately I've been wondering if that might also mean that none of our situations are so far gone that we can't sometimes find glimmers of abundance in them too. One thing I've been trying to lug over this rickety bridge from scarcity to abundance is my memory. <clears throat> One recent morning it took me, and I know you probably relate to this, almost an entire minute to recall the term bulletin board. And that kind of thing can put me in such a desperate place some days, I think. I'm not sleeping enough, I'm too young to be forgetting this much, I'm gotta stop multitasking, what's wrong with me? What if one of these times I forget something so terrible? But instead, now, I'm just trying to stop. My focus instead can turn to the abundance of evolutionary wisdom coursing through my veins. 
I read a study once that suggested maybe I'm forgetting the word bulletin board because my brain is trying to get me to forget childbirth and newbornhood so that I produce more offspring and my genes have a better shot of going on and on. <laughs> and maybe I can just see forgetting as that, just an ancient, innocent enough ploy from my cavewoman great-grandmas who are somewhere up in the stars admiring my taste in lullabies. I think of those great-great-grandmas and the songs they sang to their kids and the incomprehensibly abundant number of songs in the world. I think of a song Alex picked up at a library story hour recently in a language no one in her family could identify for weeks. But then in some miraculous feat of abundance, her au pair Andrea found a video of the song being sung in an aboriginal dialect, yurta yurta, spoken by only about 150 people still alive on this planet today. Twenty twenty three is abundant and it is so scarce. Both things can be true. One final story that I think about a lot comes from last summer, or like maybe, whatever, 2021, when I was in the throes of a physically and emotionally demanding final trimester before our youngest arrived. I was driving through some remote metro west town, like Groton or Pepperell, and I passed by a ramshackle church that I assumed was pretty theologically different from ours because it had a lot of crosses on the building. And one of those magnetic signs that changes every season or so had something on it, but I thought, I don't know if I want to read it. Uh, there's so many Trump flags out here, and I'm just in this one long, bad, awful mood. But of course I read it, or maybe those plain black letters in all caps read me. <clears throat> the sign said, God loves you to the moon and back. And I immediately burst into tears. God loves you to the moon and back. That one's pretty easy to forget, right? However you understand the spirit of love and mystery that some people call God, it's true. There is enough love in this universe for each of us to let it wrap itself around and around our shoulders, like a handmade blanket woven by ancestors from celestial yarn and woven from all of our hardest days and all the things we can't remember and woven from every obscure and strange handwritten lullaby one person could ever recall. Hold tight to that blanket. Our lives are scarce and they are abundant. It doesn't serve anyone, not one single person, when we forget that though we are broken, we are also whole and that can be enough. Blessed be and may it be so.